Chapter 5 Troubled Times The year 1596 was a terrible one in the English countryside. Months of appalling weather made the crops fail, so people began to starve. Wakened by lack of food, many became ill. In some places, including Stratford, there were riots as people's despair turned to violence. William sent his family money for food, but times were hard for everyone. In August, William and Anne's son, Hamnet, fell ill and wrote to tell her husband it was serious, but her letter took days to reach him. Before it arrived, Hamnet was dead. He was just 11 years old. William and Anne had lost their only son. They were devastated. In his sorrow, William threw himself into his work, including a new play called King John. He was trying to keep himself from thinking about his loss, but his feelings sometimes showed through his writing. Refuse the room up of my absent child. Oh, Lord, my boy, my first son. Now, William's thought turned more and more to his family. It was too late to help Hamnet, but he bought the second biggest house in Stratford, an elegant brick building called New Place, for Anne and the girls, hoping to spend more time there with them. William also promised to help his younger brother Edmund, who still wanted to become an actor to find a job in London, and for his father, who had always longed to have his own coat of arms, he went to see the Herald at the College of Arms in London. A few weeks later, Mr. Shakespeare prudently unrolled an official scroll. It was a certificate showing his new coat of arms, a golden shield with a drawing of a spear and a motto in Latin, non sans right, meaning not without right. William's sadness didn't stop him from writing his place, but they began to reveal a darker side. In his next comedy, The Merchant of Venice, the hero is pursued by a moneylender demanding a pound of his flesh as a payment for a debt. He also wrote a sequel to his earlier hit about Henry IV, describing how the crown passes to the king's son who then has to banish his roofish old friend, Falstaff. That might have been the end of Falstaff, but 
His character, played with enthusiasm by Will Kemp, was just too popular, so William brought him back for the next play, The Merry Wives of Windsor, a comic rom about Falstaff in love. It was such a success, the actors even claimed to have performed it for Queen Elizabeth. But, while the Queen enjoyed plays, she would not tolerate any hint of rebellion when an unlicensed play about her government opened at the Swan Playhouse, the authorities reacted swiftly and severely. They closed the playhouse, confiscated the script, and threw three of the actors involved into jail. Then, to the horror of every actor in London, the Queen banned all plays in the city for that summer. Summer is our busiest time, said Richard despairingly when he heard the news. We can only play the big open-air venues in good weather. She must be worried, mused William. Maybe she thinks we'll start a riot. But if we can't act, we'll soon be stone broke and starving. Where's Will Camp? What are we going to do? There's no choice. We'll have to go on tour, Richard decided. So they and the rest of the company packed their bags. It was a bad time to be touring. After the famine, few people outside London had money to spend on plays. But the actors did what they could, playing to small crowds at country inns and beginning invitations from the local gentry. As soon as they dared, they hurried back to London. To their relief, they found Queen Elizabeth was glad to have them back again. The Queen has asked us to play at court three times this Christmas. William wrote happily to Anne. The admiral's men have only been asked once, he added gloating. But there's a problem with our playhouse. The lease on the theatre had expired, so the Lord Chamberlain's men had been forced to move to the curtain. It wasn't a bad place, but it was much smaller, and they were attracting bigger and bigger crowds. They needed more room. Richard and his brother pleaded with the landlord to renew the lease. In the meantime, the players crammed as many visitors as they could into the curtain. Every afternoon, the little yard was packed with people cheering to hero of William's latest drama, or doubled up, laughing at his new comedy. Much ado about nothing. The landlord refused to budge. A year later, they were still at the curtain. It's ridiculous, 
Richard fumed as they turned away crowds yet again. My family owns that playhouse. What do you mean? asked William. The lease was just for the land. My family owns the building, explained Richard. Not that they're much use where they are, he added ruefully. I think we can do something about that. Let's... We'll put in greening. Why don't we just move the playhouse? It was crazy, but no one had a better idea. One crisp, frosty morning soon after Christmas, the company stole into the theater carrying saws, covers, and hammers. It didn't take long to dismantle all the old playhouse. Then they carried the timbers across the river to Southwark and began putting them together on a new site. When the landlord found out, he was furious, but there was nothing he could do. By the start of the summer season, the new playhouse was finished. It had round, whitewashed walls, three levels of galleries, and a broad stage shutting out into an enormous yard. Above the stage, there was a canopy decorated with a golden sun and stars supported by two marble-painted columns. It's like a whole wall in here, said Richard, looking around brutally. Let's call it the globe. The company's problems should have been over, but you wouldn't have known it from listening to Will and William. They were constantly bickering over Will's habit of making up new lines. You've got to stop it, Will, William snaped one day. You keep dancing around and making stupid jokes, and it's spoiling my script. If you don't like it, I can go and dance somewhere else, retorted Will. I dance chic all the way too. He paused to think of a town, uh, uh, Norwich, you'll see. With that, he stumped off, leaving the company without its star comedian. To replace him, Richard hired a new actor named Robert Ehrman. He was a thin, clever fellow, nothing like Will, but very funny in his own way. And, to William's relief, he stuck to the script. Apart from losing Will, who really was stubbornly dancing his way to Norwich, things were going wonderfully. Delighted with the new playhouse, William dashed off his hit after heat from this sassy romantic comedy, as you like it, to the Roman tragedy Julius Caesar. But his greatest triumph was a play about troubled young Danish prince named Hamlet. It seemed the Lord Chamberlain's men 
were the hottest tickets in town. The only question was what to do next. To be or not to be, that is the question.